This podcast includes content funded by the British Podcast Awards Fund and the Wellcome Trust. Hello and welcome to Discovering Dementia. I'm Penny Bell and this podcast began after my mum was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. I started to research what I could do to help her and thought it might be useful to share what I discovered with you and anyone else coping with a similar situation. One story seems to lead to the next. I'm not an expert, just a daughter trying to find ways to make life easier for her mum. When I started recording this episode, my goal was to find out how important socialising and social interactions were for a person living with dementia. Nobody was expecting a global pandemic. Overnight, everybody over the age of 70 in the UK was advised by the government to stay at home and to limit face-to-face interactions with friends and family. I think a lot about the impact dementia is having on my mum's life and what I can do to make sure she's living life to the full. I want her to be as happy as she can be. She's someone who's always loved socialising, so getting out of the house to meet other people really lifts her spirits. Mum is still fairly independent, though she does have support now to help with medication and meals at home. She attends a day club for some of the week and, until now... She's been able to walk into town and do a bit of shopping. She may not remember to buy all the right things, but for her it's more about chatting to people on the way. The shops she visits regularly know her well and have told me sometimes she calls in just to talk and they love it. She's very lucky to have such a supportive network in her local town. But of course, as I speak to you now, coronavirus is keeping us all at home. Mum's social activities have stopped. But the bulk of this episode takes place before we knew about social distancing and self-isolation. And I started by talking to someone who's been researching what it means to live well with dementia. My name is Linda Clare. I'm Professor of Clinical Psychology of Ageing and Dementia at the University of Exeter Medical School. Professor Clare has been running a project called IDEAL, Improving the Experience of Dementia and Enhancing Active Life. It centres around a large study exploring people's experiences of living well with dementia and has recruited over 1,500 people living with the condition from across England, Scotland and Wales. Over 1,000 carers are also taking part and a team of researchers have been following them for several years looking at how things change for them over time. The aim of the study was to try to understand the more social and psychological aspects of people's experience of either living with dementia or caring for someone with dementia. And and those aspects are not so often considered in research. So we've looked at people's psychological health, their physical fitness and health, their social situation, the resources that they have, the sort of social networks and activities and links and all those kind of things and we've tried to consider all of those broad factors as well as the services that they access and the kind of patterns of of service provision that they're able to have which of course differ in different places 
It's hoped the information they gather will eventually translate into better ways to support people living with dementia. And one aspect being considered is how socialisation may play a part. We have looked at people's social networks, or to put that another way, you know, how many people they have contact with and what kind of contact they have with other people, and also whether they feel lonely or not. Loneliness is very interesting because actually our participants with dementia, some of them do feel lonely, but the proportion is about the same as what we see in the general population. And my feeling is that with people with dementia who are lonely, you know, it's perhaps harder than it is for the rest of us to address that and do something about it. And that's where the need for support, good support, comes in. As Professor Clare mentioned, the resources and support services available for people living with dementia in the UK can vary widely depending on where you're based. Every area seems to offer slightly different things, but I was curious to discover how loneliness and social isolation are currently being addressed. One of the options to keep older people with memory problems socially connected is a day centre. We often hear about ones that cater for large groups of older people where they can meet others, socialise and interact with staff, all helping to reduce loneliness or give carers a break. So I was interested to discover a scheme in Devon set up in 2014, which provides what it calls a different kind of daycare. The Philo Project offers a high quality experience for small groups of older people in an intimate home setting. I wanted to know more, so in those heady days just before COVID-19 took our freedom, I set off for Exeter to visit the project's headquarters. Right, are you able to come a little bit closer? Mm-hmm. Otherwise it's a long way to stretch. I'm Libby Price, I'm director and co-founder of the Philo Project. We're a social enterprise, a community interest company. We provide days out or daycare for older people who are socially isolated. Most of our clients have dementia, whether a diagnosis or not, but we also support people with other isolating challenges of older age, such as stroke or Parkinson's, perhaps Parkinson's with dementia or sensory loss or a combination of the above. Libby had originally been working with a similar service with Age UK in Exeter, supporting small groups of older people living with dementia, collecting and bringing them to her home for the day and giving them lunch. The service was due to close and Libby was one of the last to still have groups. It was around then she met Liz Dennis, who was to become the other co-founder and director of the Philo Project. I was doing a PhD at Exeter University looking at the effects of music on people with dementia and was trying to find some people with dementia with whom I could research. So I went out to meet Libby and her groups and then started observing, you know, I was there twice a week for six months and I could see what an amazing service it was and the effect it had on the people in the group and just seeing the nice little tiny community of four people it just seemed mad that a really, really good service was going to cease to exist. So, And so the Philo Project was born in my kitchen. We had a similar philosophy of how we should treat people as it, really the service that I was working in was pretty much under threat. We decided that we would forge our own way and create our own enterprise. It happened to be at a time when day centres were being cut all over the county of Devon there was very little replacement care in any shape or form and it was a, actually as we realized a very good time for us to start something although obviously at a time of great austerity it was quite a challenge really Liz said to me we really have got to call 
find a name for this. And she said, what do you see in your mind? What are you visualising? And I said, well, it's almost to me, it's like building up layers and ending up with something quite substantial at the end of it, such as you might with layers of phyllo pastry. You eventually have, you know, a substantial strudel. So I know this sounds a bit bonkers, but we started having files, calling them phyllo, just because we hadn't thought of anything else. And that began to stick. And I said to Liz, well, why don't we just call it the phyllo project, stick project on the end, because it's going to be a work in progress. It's going to be ever-changing. So that's what we ended up deciding on. And it's been a really lovely name because it's non-generic, if you like. It doesn't point to a certain category that can be quite demeaning in older age, like daycare or dementia's not mentioned. And a lot of our lovely clients remember their philo day. They know it's a philo day. Um, They're not going to the day centre. They're going out with their friends to the philo. So it's been a really positive name. And later we, we discovered that it means in ancient Greek, love and care. That's quite nice. In terms of memory, I often think, well, if we peel back what isn't working so well now with our memories, we can then focus on the bits that do work better. And and I love that. It's good, it's good imagery in my head. So people who might not remember what they did this morning or yesterday or who they saw or what they ate... We don't need to focus on those bits. Let's focus on what they can still do and remember. It's a paid-for service, with some clients being funded through the local authority and others privately funded, attending between one and four times a week. It offers a full day of around six hours, including transport and lunch, cooked by a host in their home. We support everybody, whether they have a million pounds in the bank or a penny in the bank. And that's what I think... We go back to time and time again that it's a service for everybody. So that's sort of the philosophy of the project. And when you started, what were the first steps? Obviously, you set up the website, but how do you begin to find the kind of people that you want to help? Well, the eight or nine clients that I already had wanted to stay with me in the new venture. So we had our first two little groups. And then it was a huge leap of faith, really. It was a bit like turning a tanker because the culture of commissioning is very much in proven, you like, generic concepts of care. So me knocking on the door and saying, I've got this great idea, I want to do lots of it and, you know, we need people, we need clients, um, we need hosts. Well, it was a big uphill task to start with. But, you know, one or two contacts one makes along the way can really turn turn things around and we ended up at a time as I said earlier when they were shutting all the day centres and there was a big crisis about dementia care in Devon so we began to engage very proactively with the local authority who gave us some seed funding and from there we've just gradually grown layer on layer if you like if you want to look at it that way again we now have 35 40 hosts probably in Devon we're now into Somerset. We have something like 70 groups running a week. It's an organic growth that people like. They like the concept. They like what we offer. Clients love it. It gives re- meaningful replacement care, which is hugely in demand. It's just a different kind of model that is right for now. Libby and Liz oversee the two counties with regional team leaders and hosts running things on the ground day to day. The pair have created a real sense of community amongst their staff so that they all feel connected, supported and appreciated in what they do. 
Where possible, Libby and Liz like to visit in person and they invited me to join them as they headed to a group in North Devon for the day. I'm gonna hop in the back. Morning. No, that's all right. I thought I was late. I did, yeah. They picked me up en route on a very blustery wet day for the hour's drive to Biddeford. Thank so, you. To the end, rough off, turn left. Okay. And how are you, Penny? Did I'm you have good. A, nice, a nice rest of the day? We uh, chat in the car as we make our way. So, what's our plan this morning? So, we're going to meet Liz in a minute, who's our coordinator for Northern Devon, team leader. Um, then, we're going to go and see uh, one of her groups with one of our longest serving hosts, Sharon. And she's got some interesting clients, so we're going to see, you know, for you to see a day, a FINA project in action, really. Uh, keep going for a mile and a half and then we turn left. We meet the other Liz, as we'll call her, better known as Liz Warner, in a cafe on the way for a quick catch-up. She's been a regional team leader for the FILO project for the last few years. It feels like we're driving into the middle of an industrial estate, but from nowhere, up pops a vibrant coffee shop like a little oasis. The weather's not improving and we dash inside to avoid getting too wet. Hi, I'm Penny. Nice to meet you. Can we go and get um, what would you like? Oh, really? Tea, uh, tea please. And, uh, Earl Grey. Would be nice, yeah, thank you. We drink our tea, but it's really too noisy for a proper chat. So the other Liz and I head to the car to talk, where it's a bit quieter, though the sound of rain is never far away. She has her own very personal connection to the Philo project. Her dad had dementia and was a client in the years before he died. Liz had been a nurse in the past, but she and her mum found caring for him at home to be challenging. They'd been looking for something that would give her mum a break, but didn't feel he needed to be in residential care. The Philo project seemed to fit the bill and he became one of the first clients in the group we're heading to today. So I got drawn into the world of dementia unintentionally, un, you know, completely unexpectedly. My mother and I were desperate to find some form of support. She couldn't cope any longer and was really starting to struggle. So my friend mentioned the Philo project to me. So obviously you Google it and find all the information and it seemed like such a good concept because it was that family environment and we wanted it to be very homely and natural. So we knew that someone would pick him up and he'd just be in a regular car and go to a regular house and be with normal people. He did try a daycare facility and he got expelled on his first day because he um, was opening all the drawers and cupboards and looking at things, which is what people with dementia do. Dad was very busy. He had to be busy all the time. He'd always been very active and sporty. He'd always worked. And he was constantly doing things, and they couldn't cope with him doing that. So we needed a smaller place where they would understand the condition a bit more. So how did you go then from being the daughter of someone who attended the Philo project with host Sharon to to actually having a job working for them? Well, I was self-employed gardener and I still am in my spare time as well, but I wanted something else and the nursing background sort of drew me back. I wanted to do something caring, something with people again. 
and I just like the whole concept of going out and meeting these clients and learning about their backgrounds and their histories because I ask them all about you know what they did for work and and what their hobbies and interests were and where they like to go in their spare time and their holidays and things like that and it's fascinating to listen to them and they've all got their own stories. So how does your day work then? Basically, we'll get referrals coming in and I will go out and meet the clients and do an assessment and see if they're suitable. And I usually have a group in mind at that time of where they're going to go. But it may be that when I meet them, that changes completely. It may be a chap who's been in the RAF and loves fighter planes. And I've got another group with a chap and I think they may well get on brilliantly. So then I come back and I do all the admin, place them into the groups and then they will start and I'll go out and check on them and see how they're doing, make sure they're enjoying themselves, everything's going well, and take it from there. How many groups did you start off managing and how has that changed? I started with two and we're on 16 now in North Devon, so that's really grown. So we're going to go over to Sharon's in Biddeford and see her group and meet her clients. She's got five clients there. She had two new chaps that started a few weeks ago together who are friends, who have become friends through their dementia journey, which is lovely. And we've got a couple of ladies there. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see, see them all together and see how she does her day. It's very hilly. It is very hilly. <laughs> Doing very good parallel parking. This is Biddeford. It is yeah. Biddeford, yeah. Sharon lives just over the road. Lots of cars coming down the hill. And there's Libby and Liz. Oh. Hello. Here we are, I'm in the kitchen now, just put my bags down. Go and say hello. Hello. People at the table. Hello. I have, this is yeah. my microphone. I'm hoping to hear what you do today. Oh, really? So you're going to be stars. Yeah. So you, are you all are you all happy if I have my microphone on and we record what we say a little bit today? Yeah. Oh, you're pulling my leg there. <laughs> That's great. You can get rid of the swearing, can you? Yes, I can. I'm very good at editing, so I can chop that out. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm Sharon Elvins. I'm a host for the Philo Project. I've been doing it for four years now and I've had a total of 43 people come through the doors. Our main aim of the day really is to just get people together who are lonely or the family need a break. I don't really plan the days. The days just flow as they do. A lot of time it's just about talking. Here, everyone gets a chance to speak, decide what they want to do. Even at lunch, small things like lunchtime, you know, if someone doesn't like carrots, they, they can say, whereas in a big, a big group, 
you get given what you're given and um, nothing's individual in a big group whereas here everyone's just treated as they want or need to be really it's just relaxed no rules no procedures no nothing it's just so just having your friends round really that's that's all it is just friends getting together and this particular group how long have they been together I think my longest one is Janet. She's been here for, I'd say, a year. And then um, Malcolm and Dennis joined us three weeks ago. So they're relatively new, but have just settled in really well. Beautiful flowers. Yes. I thought somebody might like to put them in a vase for you. And That'd be gorgeous. Who's a flower ranger? Not guilty. Oh, I bet you are. <laughs> you, Janet, do you arrange flowers? I'll tell you what, if I bring them down there, you two can you do them together. Oh, one of the chaps, one of you yeah. might like to do it. I don't know who's... They're not looking keen. No, no, you bought grass than flowers. A perfect example of how the day just flows, as Sharon puts it. She receives an unexpected bunch of flowers while we're there and, of course, could have unwrapped them and arranged them herself. But instead, she enlists the help of everyone. Janet and the other group member, Jean, decide they'd like to arrange them, something they've probably done in the past, but perhaps they get to do these simple tasks less now. They collaborate. It's a team effort, with Malcolm and Dennis watching, along with the fifth group member, Cecil, all chipping in with advice. <laughs> there we go. Here's the vase to do your... Oh, I say. Wow. That's that's a flowers. Look at that. Now, do you need any scissors? Maybe, yeah, yes, maybe, so. thank you. Oh, oh, beautiful flowers, ladies. Well done. Professor Linda Clare, who we met at the start, knows the Philo project and is aware of its model of care. I think it's a fantastic idea because it is based around a sort of sense of normal life and friendship, isn't it? I think that in a smaller group, people probably have more individual attention and perhaps more opportunity to interact with one another in a normal, friendly way, rather than just being part of a big group. And what you often see in a big group is very little interaction between the people with dementia and just comes from one staff member to the people with dementia. Whereas I think perhaps in these smaller groups, you will get more interaction among the members that is probably constructive and positive as well. They're gorgeous, thank you, Jean. I never knew Janet, that. Janet, look lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Janet, shall I take those scissors for you? Yeah. Oh, thank thank you. you. Oh, good, good. Very good time, actually. Yeah. Good. When it comes into this table, it's done very well, thank you very much. We always have a giggle, don't always we? Always giggle. Yeah. 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 Because we know each other, don't we? Yeah. Well, yes, I yeah. do know. I'm feeling very young now with this uh, conversation. Well, that's not a bad thing, is it? No. <laughs> sweet little Dennis. So, Dennis, you've got some fascinating stories, haven't you? Because you were a fireman mm, oh, yeah. back before they wore the protective gear. Yes. Really? Yes, into yes. Fires. yes. Did yes. they wear them? Yes. We, well, we didn't, unless you had to, we never put... Um, Air, air, air tanks on. Oxygen, you didn't uh, yeah. have the oxygen, did you? Mm, well, just air. Oh, yeah, is it? Yeah. Mm. Both, sorry. Both. Yeah. Um, that's how I got through it. So. It, it was good, yeah. but we, we did do things that would now 
be really, you know, no, you can't do that. Yeah, they just stop them going. Health and yeah. safety. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But we got through. And we, we did the job. Who wants an old fire engine now when you can get a modern um, helicopter and things oh, yeah. like that? Mm. People collect the old ones, though. Yeah. And do you want to talk about your job, Jean? What, in the telephone exchange, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Yeah, listened into people's conversations. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Have you written the book yet? No. <laughs> no, I'm, I must be honest. My memory is not good anymore, but I did have well, fun in my working days. Good. Good. So where did you go and work? Everyone in the group was so talkative and accepting of my being there from the second I arrived. I didn't expect them to be so receptive, especially as I came with a microphone. For Malcolm, the recording equipment reminded him of earlier days when he used to use a reel-to-reel -reel tape machine. Yes, I used to record singing. Did you? Mm. Was that for you to listen back to or was it for...? Yes, and then for us to make either tapes or you know, make more reel-to-reel -reel for people to have for themselves to keep. To what keep. kind of singing were you recording? Was it Anything. choral things? Could, yes, choral things. Yeah. Anything from sort of eight, four parts to, uh, you know, bigger if there are enough people around to do it. That must have been quite hard to record with lots of different voices. Did you have to use different microphones to no, pick that up? No, no. just only a, used a single one, oh. or a, you know, single pair to have it slightly stereophonic. Well, it was early days. Yeah. Then. <laughs> was that for your job, or were you just? No, that was just for fun. As the coffee and biscuits draw to an end, Janet is ready for whatever is coming next. So what are we going to do today? Mm. What would you like to do? Mm. I'll tell you what we could do. We could do some of the things we did yesterday with the group. Was the, the sayings that our mum and dad used to say to us that we swore we would never say to our children. <laughs> we do. We do. We all have done Ask your father. Yeah. yeah, or wait till your father gets yes, home. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we've all had that wait one. Till your father gets home. That's well, right. Not in my era, because <coughs> our fathers were away. Yes, they would have been, wouldn't they? Yes. Everyone joins in with a comment, remembering the phrases from their own childhoods, before the conversation moves on to a bit of local Biddeford history. Sharon has found some old newspaper cuttings. Like all the Philo Project hosts, she's gone that extra mile, knowing what her group is most interested in, knowing each of their personalities well. She brings a wealth of life experience to her role and aspires to treat all in her group as individuals. They start to talk about evacuees who came to the town in the Second World War and how they were placed with families. But Malcolm's dad was a billeting officer, wasn't he? He was, yes. yes. So we used to get all the leftovers... Malcolm, get out of your bed. I've got one over. And I have a little pillow beside mum and dad's bed in the bedroom. And uh, then that child would go into my bed. Yes. Well, it was, it was expected, you know. Was it was it? all part yeah. of it, yes. Aww. So was it very often he'd get leftovers, as you call them? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was more often than you'd think. I mean, I can't give you numbers, but... Uh, mm. 
you get evacuated? No. No, you were lucky then as well. Mm. Yeah. Oh. We were quite rural. <laughs> well, that's good then. Yes. And you wouldn't have gone anywhere, Sasa, would you? Not very far. No, you were in the far. country anyway. No. no. Yeah. Did you have any come to stay with you? No. No. I had another love. You had a big family, did you? Um, well, yeah. yeah. Where were you during the war? How many was there? Um, I wasn't born. Seven, you weren't born? Oh, no. Yeah. You wouldn't have had any room for any of Really? Yeah. 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 I know, I don't know what to say now. It felt good to be included in the discussion, even if I didn't have any war stories of my own to share. The Philo model definitely seems to provide an intimate and personalised social experience which brings a lot of joy. The small group setting allows everyone the space to be themselves. Jean sums it up really well. We wouldn't come again and again if it wasn't a worthwhile place to come to and the people may not be worthwhile when you start but my goodness me, they're friends when you leave. See? Sorry. I'm going home now. So you get to know people quite well when you come. I wouldn't say get to know them. You you work with them and just get get together. But we don't know. I wouldn't know where they lived or how many. With our memories, if you told me you had three children now, two girls and a boy, I would remember for a little while and then very soon it would be gone and then you'd look up and you'd say oh Cecil how many children have you got and he'd say well I told you that half an hour ago (laughs) so when you're here do you find people understand a bit better about that kind of thing and you don't worry about it we just all we just all blend in and gel together we don't we don't worry if somebody said something wrong you say oh you stupid thing it's blah it's not blah 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 so you think it's a good thing to come here? Well, yes, it is, because if we've got partners, husbands, wives or whatever, it gives them a break because we know that we are not 100% perfect anymore, but we're all all right together. We've all got a little something not quite right with it. Well, I don't mean not quite right, but we're not as good as we were back in yesteryear. So together, we make a good team. For Sharon, being a host fits seamlessly into her own family life. Very often the grandchildren are here, so everyone loves to see them. My daughter lives down the road, so she pops in and out. I've got a a friend that used to be a host. She comes and visits quite a lot, and they all love talking to her. So, yeah, it's just... So I say it's just like your family, you just, they're part of it, and yeah, just, it's lovely, best, best job in the world, yeah. Co-founders Libby and Liz are seeing hard evidence that the work they're doing with the Philo Project is working. As Liz explains, they've been analysing and assessing what they do with support from NHS England. What we do is we kind of evaluate the service in terms of the client and the client's carer, if they have one close by, prior to coming to us, and then kind of on the day they start, and then a couple of periods after that, up to six weeks after they've started. Typically on the first day, people might be slightly anxious. They might say to the host, I want to go home, or kind of talk themselves out of being there, and then 
generally the second week a bit calmer, calmer, calmer. And then we would generally say after four weeks of attending, people have kind of bedded in. And that's the beauty of the model as well is the fact that clients go with the same host, with the same group on the same day. So there's that real continuity that has a real stabilising effect on clients. So a flourishing is what we always say, but certainly a growth in confidence you would expect to see. That is what the evaluation is showing. And you look at people through a different lens in terms of what they're able to do. That was something you talked about, Libby. Yeah, because we're, we're, I think particularly people with dementia, that the focus is very much on what they are, who they are now, so what they can and cannot do. So I'll give you an example of a lovely gentleman we had in one of our Lyme Regis groups, Philip, and he, through his memory loss and other challenges, had been scammed and lost all his money. He was an engineer, a civil engineer, divorced, and he was finally ended up in Sidmouth in a rented flat, came to us via a social services referral. He had four care visits a day to make sure he was eating and drinking. He was known as a wanderer because he had always liked to go out and go on the bus or walk to town, but was forgetting to come back, so started to be labelled in a slightly different way. And he started coming to our lovely host, Caroline, in Lyme Regis, and where he ended up towards the later stages doing three days a week with us. And he was an utter gentleman, a lovely, lovely man, became a great friend to Caroline and to others in the group. And he was a, a great navigator because obviously he couldn't drive anymore. But Caroline remarked that, you know, when he wasn't in the car, she felt quite exposed and missed him. They'd have lovely conversations in the car, as all our hosts and clients do. You know, travelling back to Lyme Regis, well, where does the Regis and Lyme come from? And then they got onto subjects about the tea trade and all sorts of interesting things. But something that stands out for me as a real indicator of how we view somebody is that Caroline uh, had put some fat balls out in the garden to feed the birds. And she remarked to her group one day that she was rather annoyed because these rather large greedy magpies were swooping down and scoffing the lot in in moments and so the little birds weren't getting a look in and Philip who was a real problem solver in his life with an engineer he contemplated and thought for a little while and then he he said that well if you were to suspend a pot of water with an elastic band beneath the fat ball you will find that the big birds will swoop down and they'll get wet and they won't like it and the little birds will be able to land safely and have their supper. And it was such a symbolic kind of moment, and it made me think that this is is such an interesting version of events from us. So from our point of view, Philip is and was a friend, a co-navigator, a helper, a problem solver, a gentleman. Through the narrow lens of how he was seen when he was referred into us, he was somebody with mixed dementia who needed four care visits a day. And that was pretty much it. So it was like a split personality. And I think, I know there are so many people who want to see the person behind the dementia, but if ever that was a case of it, you know, we've seen it. And this sense of seeing clients as who they are, not what they have become, ties in with the work Professor Clare is doing at Exeter University. One interesting finding for me in our research so far was about identity and I, I, I have an interest in, in that topic and I had 
put in a question um, into the survey asking people, very simple question, asking them whether they felt as if they were the same person that they'd always been. And, um, you know, we find that people who feel a sense of discontinuity in who they are, they feel as if they're not the same, are also those who are most psychologically distressed. And so this is a, a good indicator that we need to work with people to help maintain the sense of who they are and the sense of identity and the sense of continuity with their previous life to ensure that they have the best possible well-being. So socialising and interacting with others, particularly in the small group settings offered by the Philo Project, is one way to help keep people connected to their sense of self. In fact, through experiencing my own Philo Day, I can see what a positive effect being with others and socialising does have on someone living with dementia, boosting self-esteem and confidence, giving people a voice and making them feel valued. What people always tell us is that, you know, a small group situation is much more manageable for them. And there are ways in that context as well of uh, making it possible to make sure that people have a chance to, to speak and to, to listen as well. Yeah, I think it is very, very important that we consider social contact as a, as a central element. And we think about the relationship being important between the person and carer. But of course, wider social contact is also very important and can help that key relationship to continue also for people with dementia living alone you know the social contact is a lifeline and so this sudden change in our world brought about by a virus that has swept across nations is going to have a big effect not least on those living with dementia well i can only really speculate about that but i think that it must be very frightening potentially for people and the removal of social contact would make life probably for all of us very difficult and you know if you have dementia it may be harder to occupy that void with other things or finding ways of of managing that so I think it's very very challenging and of course also challenging in that you know families might want to be supportive but might be being advised not to uh, not to engage or not to go there and this will be very worrying for family members as well there might be things we can do to start you know, addressing some of the isolation issues. Uh, and I think this is going to be a focus of research that we'll start doing now in this crisis time. According to a report by Age UK, loneliness can be as harmful for our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And there is evidence that loneliness and social isolation are associated with reduced cognitive function. So this is a worrying time. After my uplifting visit to the group in Biddeford, I wanted to catch up with Libby and find out what has happened since. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster of a few weeks. We knew in sort of mid-March, essentially our entire service would have to stop. We tried to think of ways of working around it, but fortunately we're able to join the job retention scheme and furlough our, our staff so that we could keep them supported but most importantly know that we can all resume when the time comes and I think what seems to be more evident than ever is that when this is all over and life does start to get back to normal there's going to be a huge need for us again and I think the situation with carers um, who already were in crisis before going into this lockdown I can't imagine what that landscape's going to look like two or three months later. We're keeping in touch with clients and, and families. Um, all our lovely staff are hosts are good friends with the people they support. So we know that there are good 
links going on there whilst we're dormant. And of course, it means that our staff can also volunteer for the NHS if they like. Difficult to put a time frame on it, isn't it, for everybody? It's just unravelling. I think there's been a good connectedness and, as we all know, a good community spirit. So we just have to hope that we're all, you know, that the plan is that we can resume. I started by wanting to find out how important social interaction is for people living with dementia and I've seen for myself the positive difference it can make. I never expected things to change so dramatically in society as a whole through the course of making this podcast. As I record, the UK is on lockdown. Social distancing and self-isolation may help reduce the risk of coronavirus spreading, but it's likely to have unintended consequences along the way. And the breakdown in social contact may be hardest on those who rely on it the most. You've been listening to Discovering Dementia. Thank you to all who took part in this episode and to the British Podcast Awards Fund and the Wellcome Trust for their support in funding the content. To find out more about The Philo Project, search for www.thephiloproject.co.uk or look for it on social media at Philo Project or at Philo Project 12. To learn more about the ideal research, go to www.idealproject.org.uk. This podcast was produced and presented by Penny Bell, with additional editing by Chika Ayres and original music by Leila Matwali.